Welcome to the Linwood Covenant Church Podcast, presented by Pastors Dave Osterkamp, Rachel Hart, and Chris Kelly. Join us each week as we dive into the timeless wisdom of Scripture, exploring Jesus' message of love, hope, and faith that unites us all. So sit back, relax, and let's get into this week's service. So we're in our third week. We, uh, uh, Chris Stoltzman has made it avail- uh, our sermons available not only on our website, but also on all the podcast formats that are out there if you search Linwood Covenant Church, you can, uh, you can find the, the past messages if you ever want to catch up. But on September 10th, we talked about Matthew 6, 19, where Jesus says uh, to Peter and Andrew and James and John these simple words, come follow me. And they left everything. James and John, it said, including their father, they left in their business to follow Jesus. And then in Matthew 8, there were some people that wanted to follow Jesus. One was a respected, educated, uh, powerful man and. He did not realize that that following Jesus meant letting go of all of those things. It's easy to say we're following Jesus, but we talked that week about in reality, often we're walking ahead of Jesus and hoping that Jesus is coming with us where we're going. And instead, we need to seek to follow Christ and Christ alone. And in doing so, there's freedom to be found. Last week on September 17th, we read Mark chapter 4, where Jesus slept while the storm raged and the disciples panicked as the boat was about to sink. And we talked about that just maybe our our greatest witness to the world is to be a calm, joyful, confident, and hopeful presence in a world that is angry and anxious and fearful and prone to despair. This is possible when when we become convinced that Jesus is in fact in the storm with us. And we talked about how it's also it's also possible to be calm, joyful, confident, and hopeful when we refuse to listen to voices that want to make us angry and anxious and fearful and despairing. Those voices are all over the place, and it's so easy to hear them and to join them. And so today we want to talk about uh, this idea of, of following me and one more aspect of it before we jump into uh, this October and November looking at people that follow Jesus and how they did it poorly and how they did it well. My question for you today is, is if you could go on vacation anywhere in the world, where would you go? After seeing where Belize is, there might be a few of us that are like, we'll come visit you. Uh, it looks like a beautiful place. Uh, if, you, if you got asked that question, though, let's just, we'll just throw out a few places. Where would you love to go? If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Or the U.S., anywhere? Scotland. Scotland. Yep. The Holy Land, Hawaii, Alaska, all good choices. I I would join you on those trips, all of them. Sweden, sure, that's another good spot. The second question is, is, second question is, is if you were, if you were traveling with a non-family member, who would would you travel with? Now, don't throw those names out, because people might get, might get upset. What, I thought you would travel with me, or, or, um... So you don't need to throw that out. But the two questions is, for you, where would you go if you could go, if money wasn't a hindrance anywhere in the world? And if you were going to travel with a non-family member, who's that person or persons that come to mind? Now, with those two pictures in mind, let's play out this scenario. Let's say that the friend that you would travel with, the non-family member, came up to you this week and out of the blue said, hey, you want to go to Scotland with me? I'll pay. Or hey, you want to go to Alaska with me? 
I'll pay. Or hey, let's go to the Holy Lands and it's on me. Let's, let's go. What if, what if that just happened this week? You would probably be overjoyed and, and it, would be, it would be just good news, right? Good, good news. Let's say you go to the Holy Land or Alaska or Scotland, wherever you're going, and, and, uh, and you, you do that trip. And then, and then six months later, your friend says, hey, you want to go to Cancun? I, I got you. Let's, let's go. And so you go. And then maybe a few months later, hey, you want to go to Belize? Let's go. I got you. Let's, let's go. Maybe a few months later, it's like, hey, Taylor Swift's in town. You want to go there? And so, yeah, sure. Uh, let's go. Let's go. And so whatever it is, like, they just start kind of bankrolling all your favorite activities. Um, and that just happens for a while. Now, the question is, would your friendship change if that was your reality? Would your, do you think if that happened three or four or five times and your your friend started just paying for you to go to all these places, uh, would it affect your, your friendship? I'm thinking about it in this way. Would it start to creep in to your friendship? What's our friendship really based on? Are we really friends, or is it just because of the, the perks that I'm getting with this friendship that we're friends? If I was the, the, the wealthy friend that was bankrolling the trips, I might start to wonder, I wonder, does my friend really like me or does my friend just like the perks that goes with hanging out with me? If we were both paying our own way, would my friend even travel with me? That's a question. Hmm. That might start to creep in. The, the not-so-rich person, the one getting the trip bankrolled, might, might think, if I paid for a friend to go on the trip, would I bring my wealthy friend or would I bring someone else? Is this friendship what I'm saying? Is this friendship, does it... If this kind of happened, would it, would it just kind of become a transactional relationship? Maybe. It wouldn't have to, but it could morph into that, into, a, into more of a, of a transactional. I don't think it would have to, but it would be tempting that it, that, it, that it could. It could morph into that. You're my friend because of what I can do for you, and I'm your friend because of what you can do for me. And the question would be, is that all the deeper this relationship is? And I would submit to you, in John chapter 6, Jesus is asking this question. They're all on the mountainside. They find themselves hungry and away from civilization. And there's, uh, there's some bread and some fish, not very much of it. And a great crowd of people, if you look at John 6, verse 2, a great crowd of people follow Jesus because they saw the signs he had performed healing the sick. So that's the setting this is in. They're following this Jesus because of what he's been doing, and it's been amazing. Some of them have been the sick persons that have been healed, or they've seen it, or they know them, and so they're following Jesus. And then Jesus feeds well over 5,000 people as much as they want, it says in the scriptures, with five barley loaves and two fish. And the people were ready to make full, uh, they were ready to take full benefit of this friendship with Jesus and make him king. Which sounds good, but Jesus knows what they're really, what's really there, that this is a transactional relationship, and that is, in the end, not what Jesus is about with any of us. They wanted to exploit Jesus and make full use of his power for their benefit, and we are easily tempted to do the same thing, because following Jesus does come with a lot of perks and benefits, but it's so easy to, to in the end, to have the whole relationship just be about that, that it's quite transactional. So the question I have for us this morning is, do we want Jesus or do we want things from Jesus? 
Don't skip over that question. Maybe write it down and just find some time to, to pray on that. Do I, do, I, do I want Jesus or do I, do I want things from Jesus? If you read the rest of the story in John 6, you end this awesome scene of all this energy of this mountain and, and this food and this amazing meal. And then Jesus escapes. He kind of escapes in the night and he goes across the lake. And the people are like, wait, where did he go? We were, gonna, we're with him. We're going to make him king. And they track him down, and they find him. And if you read John 6, 25 to 71, it's some difficult words in a lot of different ways. One, it's difficult to understand. Two, it's, it's, it's difficult to hear. I'm going to quickly summarize that we don't have time to do a deep dive in it. We can talk more in, in Sunday school today, but the people track Jesus down. And as you read John 6, 25 to 71, they want another miraculous meal. And Jesus challenges them, do you want to know me and be with me, or do you just want the things I can do for you? And they say, well, we want to believe in you. But they actually say, we need another miracle to know if we, we should. We need a few more things. We need, we need, we need another miracle. And Jesus says, and they, they reference Exodus, and they reference more bread and the manna from heaven, and they want some more proof, but they want some more miraculous bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. We know that statement. I am the bread of life. So you want this bread, and you want all these, these things, these physical things that make your life easier in the moment, but what you need is me. You want things from me, but what I wish you really wanted was to know, trust, and believe and actually follow me. Jesus tells them in this complicated section, I'm not going to lead you as you would want me to lead you. Like we talked about that first week, it's, it's so easy to want to follow Jesus, but we really want Jesus to take us where we want to go. And Jesus says, I'm not going to lead you where I know you want me to lead you. And if you don't really trust me and you want to know me and you, you, really, you really want to follow me, then you're going to bail on me, you're going to reject me, you're going to crucify me. And it says in John 6, verse 66, I just realized it's 6.66. That's an ominous numbering for an ominous verse. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They heard this, 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 this pretty intense teaching from Jesus where he really called them on the carpet. You don't really want me. You just want stuff from me. And many of his disciples turned their back on him and no longer followed him. And we can do the same thing. It's so easy because there are a lot of benefits that come from following Jesus, and we can easily fall into a transactional relationship, which isn't what it's all about. So we have these, these same kind of questions. We do the same thing when we come to Jesus simply to avoid hell. Are we really friends with Jesus or do we just hang out because we don't like fire? You know, that's a challenging question. Like, like, yes, it's eternal life. Even in John 6, Jesus talks about that. If you believe in me, you have life. But the idea for heaven is not that we just avoid hell, that we get to be with Jesus. Yes, we get to be with other loved ones that have, that have gone before us. But the most important thing is we get to be with Jesus. That, that should be what we desire most. Are we friends with Jesus or do we hang out with him because we think it might lead to an easier life? Are we friends with Jesus or do we hang out with him because we want our kids to be okay and, and we don't want tragedy in our life? It's, it's easy to morph and fall into that trap. We all do at times. It's so simple for it to become transactional. 
And in our minds, we might not actually voice it, but we kind of, in the end, if we step back and think, I will follow and I'll obey you as long as you do A, B, and C for me. It's just not the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you and me. So how do you know if, if you've fallen into this kind of mindset? I would suggest two things quickly this morning. One is, how do we react in life when storms come our way? And how do we react in life when grace comes someone else's way? How do we react when storms come our way? And how do we react when grace and mercy come someone else's way? First, let's start with the last one, when grace comes somewhere else's way. One of the maybe the most famous parables that we've heard in the Bible is the parable of the lost son. Although it's said more and more, and I think rightly in the NIV Bible, I think if you look it up in Luke 15, it'll say the parable of the lost son. It should say the parable of the two lost sons because both of them are lost. You have the younger son who's the black sheep that takes the inheritance and goes to do some wild living and he ends up poor and bankrupt and starving, and he comes crawling back home and receives grace and mercy from his father who's waiting for him and eagerly wants him to come back. And when that happens, when the younger son comes back and the, the party ensues, the older son hears there's a party going, and the older son has a transactional relationship with his father. And he says in Luke 15, 29, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, this is said to his dad. And I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. He's bitter and he's angry because grace and mercy came someone else's way. And he thought that, 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 that this isn't right. And I've been doing all these things to earn what I had hoped to get from you. And the relationship is, is transactional. There's a lot to say about that. There's a few other parables that talk about it. But how do we react when grace and mercy come someone else's way. Can we celebrate or are we bitter? Secondly, how do we react when storms come our way? Jesus was clear. He, he, didn't, he didn't hold back that there's going to be storms. Following Christ is not main, it's a life on easy street. There's benefits. There's things that, that, that really do help our physical life on earth. But, um, but there's going to be storms. All of us know that. Many of you are facing storms, have faced storms. It's just a misnomer to think that there aren't going to be any. The disciples in Mark 4, last week, Jesus was angry with them and disappointed. My question is this. The text says when the storm happened, the text doesn't say that the disciples were angry or disappointed with Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't spell that out, but I think you can hear it in their words because the storm was happening I know we're jumping through a lot of Bible stories this, this morning, but the storm was happening, and Jesus was sleeping. That was what we talked about last week. And the disciples woke him up with these words, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now again, we have no tact or tone recorded in the scriptures because it's, it's just written. But you know, was it, hey, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Or was it, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I'm, gonna, I'm guessing it's more that second way, like, I thought you loved us, man. Like, what's going on here? You're sleeping, we're scrambling, and I feel like we're going to die. Don't you care if we drown? I thought you cared about us. And my question is, what did, the, what did Jesus want the disciples to do? Jesus was in the boat sleeping, and they woke 
Jesus up with the words, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And that was obviously the wrong answer because the Bible does say Jesus was, was unhappy with them. And I don't think it was just because Jesus was, was cranky that he was sleeping and he got woke up. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't the reason. So what did they want Jesus uh, to do? Did, they want, did Jesus want to just keep sleeping and the disciples to trust that, ah, Jesus is in the boat, it's going to be okay, don't wake him up? That's maybe, maybe that's what Jesus wanted. He doesn't really say. I, I would vote no to that, though. I don't think Jesus was angry that he got woke up like we might be or, or that he thought, just, just the storm's going to relent. I'm sleeping. That means all of you should relax. Maybe that's what Jesus wanted. I'm, I'm not for sure. I think the other choice is, is that Jesus wanted them to wake him up, not with a panic and with anger that Jesus is letting them down, but what we talked about last week with this calm confidence, I think this would be my guess, that Jesus wanted them to come back and shake him and say, hey, Jesus, there's a, there's a crazy storm going on right now, and I know you got this, but um, it's, it's time to do something about it. Uh, I, I think one of those two options would have been obviously better than the panic and the anger uh, that, that, that ensued. The Bible is clear. That storms are here. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And in Mark chapter 4, the story last week ended with a calm lake, right? Everything was calm. Now, in our earthly life, that's not how all the storms end. But Jesus was clear that at the end of the day, nothing separates you from the love of God, and, and so you have nothing to worry about. That the resurrection has happened, that the greatest enemy you all face and I face is death, and it has been defeated and so that doesn't even rattle us anymore. We're going to see in the next few weeks how people follow Jesus well and not so well and how they progressed from letting go of, of anger and bitterness when others found grace and mercy and instead they could celebrate that others found grace and mercy. And we're going to see how they learn to be calm, confident, and hopeful and joyful even in the middle of a storm. That it even, even as they faced death, they were like, that's okay. Death is just... It's just the end of one journey in the beginning of another. It's nothing to fear. It's been defeated by the cross. We saw it. And we're going to hopefully be inspired to live the same. I'm going to leave you with two Bible verses. One is Psalms 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We want, in our earthly selves, we want, we want the storm to be calmed. Jesus doesn't promise he's going to do that every time. But he says... I'm with you. Where is Jesus in your storm? He's crying with you. He's suffering with you. He's walking right through it with you. He's not watching you go through it. He's going through it with you. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's where Jesus is going to be in the boat with you. And Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, and you have to know that he wrote these words while in prison, facing execution, but he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that death had been defeated and he had nothing to fear so he could be calm, confident, hopeful, even joyful in chains, in prison, facing execution. And he wrote these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Following Jesus does bring a lot of gifts and benefits into our lives, but we have to be careful that our relationship with Jesus is not simply transactional. I follow you, you bless me. We want to get to a spot where we can be in the middle of the storm and we can rejoice, we can be gentle, we can know the Lord is near, and we can be an unanxious presence in a very anxious world. Let's pray together. God, as we go through this fall and we're surrounded and bombarded with all kinds of messages, as many of us go through the own st- our storms in our life, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, that you know we're human and you know that we're very much like the disciples at times where we're going to shake you and, and be angry even and say, don't you care about me? God, help us to, to know that, that you are near. Help us to know that, um, uh, that death has been defeated. Help us to know that you are walking right with us through the middle of the storm. God, may our relationship be so much deeper than a transactional friendship. May you lead us to a place where, where we desire you more than anything else. So we, we ask that for myself. I ask that for all my friends here. Uh, we ask that even today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's message inspired you to dig deeper into your own relationship with Christ and apply his words to your world. If you like today's message, feel free to check out Linwood Covenant's other podcasts, including past sermons. If you're looking for something to binge beginning to end, check out First Word, our first podcast series that guides listeners through the book of Mark. You can find all of these wherever podcasts are available. You're also welcome to join us for our full worship service, which streams on YouTube every Sunday morning at 930 Central Time. We'll see you next week. And remember, come what may, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ.